What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Crimson Gaming Corner, your one-stop shop for everything gaming happening here at the University of Utah. I am your host, Jackson Day, and today I am joined by Ahima from Cleveland State University. So, Ahima, tell me a little bit about yourself and your gaming history. Um, so, yeah, uh, my gaming history, uh, if we're talking like the games that I've played, uh, things that I've played over the years, my first game was Kung Fu Panda, like uh, I believe it's called Path of the Panda on a V-Smile way back when. Uh, it was like a Kung Fu Panda platformer, and it was really, really fun when I first started. Then I moved on to the 3DS. I never had a DS. We moved on to the Wii and I had a Wii U where I played Breath of the Wild on that for a while. And then we got an Xbox 360. Um, before all that, we got an Xbox 360 way later. And that was really where I got most of my gaming experience from. We played a boatload of games on that thing. And as far as the genres of game that I like, I like, you know, all kinds. Looters, beat-em-ups, uh, JRPGs, all sorts. My favorite games are Moss Hunter, Mario Kart, The Legend of Zelda, Minecraft, and F Fire Emblem. And my least favorite game, like, of all time, is Battle in Wonderworld. Because I bought that. <laughs> yeah, I bought that for a family member of mine, and they absolutely hated it. <laughs> and I got blamed for that. The, the most recent game I've played so far is Overwatch 2. And, yeah, I think that's about it. So, I mean, honestly, if I was your family member, I would blame you too <laughs> yeah. uh, for buying Battle and Wonderworld. Uh, I played like the demo, and I was immediately like, "Yeah, no, that's not for me. Uh, that's that's gonna be yeah. interesting to see." Oh, and also, tell us a little bit about like what you're going to college for, your major, and stuff like that. What year you are? All right, so uh, I am I'm at college at uh, Cleveland State University, same as Michael, your last guest. And I'm majoring in computer science right now. I'm hoping that I can use that to maybe develop a hobby for like game development. But so far, that's what's over we're going with. Yeah, no, coding is definitely a good place to kind of start out on the engineering side. Personally, I like suck at all the computer science and coding stuff. I'm really struggling this semester with like a coding class I have. But it's good to hear that, you know, we've got a couple engineers and coders who will help deliver on my way over expected expectations on you know games and stuff mm, yeah today we're going to be recapping some of the events that happened at the university of utah touching on the bayonetta 3 controversy that happened as well as our expectations for the rest of the games coming out in 2022 and a deep dive into elden ring but before we get into that a little bit of housekeeping for everybody this is the crimson gaming corner where we chat with random guests like you to recap the gaming news and events you might have missed as well as talk about some of our favorite games you can find this podcast on all your favorite podcasting sites, except for Apple Podcasts, as we kind of work with Apple to get that up and running. Um, over here at GeekWave, we are working really hard to ensure that we have content ready for you. So while we wait for our new website to be up and running, we will be returning to our old website, which is just thegeekwave.com. And we'll just be posting a couple of articles, reviews, and other content over there to kind of build up so that when the new website comes, we will have a bunch of content ready for you. Finally, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the.geekwave, Twitter at the underscore geekwave, and TikTok at just the geekwave to stay up to date with everything we are doing. I promise after a certain point, we'll get all of those to be under the same name. But while we work through this, this is what we've got so far. Uh, also, I wanted to thank everybody for tuning into the last episode. We were actually quite impressed with how many people listened. 
Uh, and I'm excited to keep making content for you guys and with you guys. So thank you so much for that. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast and want us to talk about a specific game or just have any questions you want us to answer, feel free to email me at j.day at usudentmedia.com or you can DM me on Discord at awesomejacks9821. And speaking of Discord, we've officially launched our own Discord where you can chat with other members of student media and other students as well. Uh, you can provide personal feedback on the podcast or any other content GeekWave puts out. We also have like a questions tab, a kind of discussions tab where you can chime in on some discussions we've got going on. And I will put the invite link for that in the description of the episode, so make sure to check out that. Now to kind of talk about some on-campus events and uh, information that you might have missed. Um, starting off, the EAE is starting up this peer advisor section, uh, which are undergrad EAE seniors who are, sh are available to answer questions and help you out with campus resources. Um, these peer advisors can, you know, help you answer questions about classes, about EAE electives. They're kind of just a general knowledge hub for EAE. So if you're ever struggling in a class or just what to take next semester or little things like that, you can always go to them. Uh, the specific times for that should have been sent to your email. So make sure to double check on that. Um, and then they will be located in the first room on your left after entering the EAE building. So be sure to check that out if you're interested. Also, we have a couple summer 2023 internships opening up from Dreamhaven and Santa Monica. And yes, that is the same Santa Monica putting out God of War Ragnarok, so make sure to jump on that. Uh, more information for those will be in your email, and those will be from Adam Hunter, so make sure to search that up. Um, and Santa Monica's are closing on December 2nd, so make sure to be quick about that if you're interested. Continuing on, I want to say congrats to the Valorant Esports team for beating... Da Anza Athletics, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, they beat them 2-0 to zero on Friday the 28th. Um, and they absolutely killed it. They posted some of their plays on their Twitter account, which is UUtah underscore eSwords. Uh, there was this sick clip where one of our guys came up and just poked the enemy in the back, which I don't know much about Valorant, but I can just tell that that's disrespectful as hell. So make sure to check those out, and congrats again. Uh, also, the League of Legends World Championship is fast approaching on November 5th, and to celebrate, Crimson Gaming will be holding their annual League of Legends World Championship viewing event at the Courtyard by Marriott Salt Lake City Downtown Hotel, and that's going to be at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. All students are free, and guests of students are allowed, but they must sign in first. Food will be provided, and there will be a raffle for prizes and merch. If you're interested, make sure to RSVP on their Campus Connect page, because they only have room for about 60 other students. Uh, and also make sure to look out for us. A couple of our GeekWave staff, including me, are going to be there. We're going to be making some content, kind of interviewing the people watching. We don't know a lot about League of Legends, so we really want to explore more about that competitive space. Um, so I'm really excited for that. And then the last thing... Uh, VAL is throwing the New Reality VR convention, and that's going to be in Salt Lake City on November 3rd through the 5th. Um, there will be Among Us VR, which sounds like a blast, uh, tournaments for Population 1 and Epic Roller Coasters, and just a bunch of other VR games to try out. Um, so if you're interested, make sure to check out that. Once again, email or information will be sent to your email about how to sign up. There's a discount code going on for students, which I think bumps it down to like 85%, which is only like a couple bucks. Um, so be sure to check that out. It's a great way to just kind of network and get to know the VR space a little bit more, which is probably a space that's going to be getting a lot more popular as game development continues on. 
So now that we've recapped all of those, let's go on to our first section of kind of news all across the industry as well as on campus. So starting off our first section, uh, I kind of want to do a quick summary of Adam Hunter's game career workshop. Specifically this discussion uh, for this time, he's got a couple of these discussions um, and I think some will be coming up. I'll talk about them on future episodes. But this discussion for this week was about building a resume for game development students. He had a bunch of cool ideas and improvements that I know I specifically will be changing about my resume, but Ahima kind of looking through everything that he talked about, was there kind of anything specific you found surprising or stuff that you probably will add to your resume going forward? Uh, yeah, so the specific things that he called out that I found kind of interesting was that uh, the address that you put might cost some buy, so he said actually not to put that, which in my, I, I did not really, Think that that actually had an effect on bias i know that pictures can sometimes you know looking at your face can kind of have that bias when uh you're adding things to your resume but as far as address wise i didn't think that that really had an impact on whether or not they you know consider you for a position or not so i found that kind of interesting another thing that he said i found kind of interesting is to not quantify your skills don't rate it like don't say that you're like a, a three it's like a like you're three and a half on something or you know that you like 50% of the time you're really good at this thing, which I mean, I understand, you know, you don't want to really give the people who uh, who are hiring you a reason to think that you might not be qualified for the position or qualified for a certain type of job. So, you know, I understand that one. And uh, one of the final things I found interesting is that he says to describe your role, not the game, um, which is just, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> that one really stuck out to me. It's kind of like an inspirational quote. If I can, <laughs> I can say that, <laughs> like something I hang up on yeah. a wall on a poster. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the first one about the address causing some bias, I found that really interesting just because a lot of these positions, they might cause you to relocate. Um, and so putting that you live somewhere across the country or just a couple cities over might cause some bias in that the hiree or the interviewee or interviewer might be like, oh, we don't really want to hire this person because then we have to relocate them, even though you might be fine with relocating, um, especially if you're qualified. So don't put that on just to be like, hey, I'm still qualified for this. And if they do hire me, then be like, okay, sounds good. I will have to relocate. And often they don't go back on their word. And often maybe if you're like, okay, with relocating um, just on your own, you can just relocate and they won't even know. So that's pretty cool to hear. Um, and then describing your role, not the game, was also really interesting, like you said. Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of things that me as someone who is starting out game development, I want people to know about, oh, look at this game that I created and all these cool mechanics in it. But at the end of the day, they're not looking to play the game. They're just looking to see how you add it to the game sort of deal. Um, so I definitely found that interesting as well. Um, so a couple of things that I noticed specifically was list bias, which is something that kind of blew my mind, not gonna lie, um, where you can kind of put your skills in order with what they want, you know? So for example, if I'm not that experienced in Maya or ZBrush or something, but I have those skills, I can put those at the top. And that way, even I'm not necessarily saying that I'm really good at Maya or really good at ZBrush, but from the interviewer's perspective, it looks like, oh, he must be really good because he put that first. So that's definitely something that I'm going to start abusing. 
And then another one that I found cool was uh, personal and side projects are really important. Um, the number one way to differentiate yourself from the pack is to show that you have personal side projects and that you are really inspired um, to get into this industry and you're doing a lot of stuff on your own that like can improve. Um, and then final thing, and this is probably going to expose me a little bit, but GPA doesn't matter, uh, which is great because let's be honest here, my GPA can be a little, uh, <laughs> little iffy. A little rocky, you know? Yeah, just a little rocky. Um, I always felt like with high school resumes, I'd have to put my GPA on just to be like, hey, I know that, you know, I'm, I do a lot of work, but I'm also good in school too. Uh, I, I actually really, I actually really like that point that he says that GPA doesn't matter because it's like, um, like I, I used to do like, uh, senior research projects in my school and like, I would pick a couple topics where we would have to do a lot of research in. And I mainly focus on researching like education and like the the correlation between like how it uh, how you did in school and how talented you are, you know. There's no correlation, and in general, like I found that when it came to like uh, game development, coding, and computer science and things like that, you don't have to be the smartest cookie out there in order to really make something that you feel is impressive. Um, like when you're mentioning side projects, I actually made a couple of side projects on my own time, even though like. I knew nothing about it. Like I just tossed myself in there just to start making something and making something interesting. And even though personally, I think that I'm dumb as a rock, um, I actually made something that I actually made a couple of things that were really cool and really nice to show off. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how smart you think you are, or, you know, how dumb you think you are. If you just put yourself in the position where you can make something interesting, you know, take it. Yeah, I mean, give yourself a little bit of credit. I feel like you're pretty good. And uh, uh, I'm not going to do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I feel like I've gotten a lot of, like, messages from you asking about different sort of engines or, like, Unreal and uh, Unity and stuff like that. So yeah. I've definitely noticed a couple bits of that, and it's cool to see you kind of showing. You'll have to, like, send me some of your work sometime. I'd love to see it. Uh, I'm too nervous to do that. I'm just going to keep working <laughs> at it, to be honest. Keep working at it, yeah. and then once you get it to a good point, then you send it to me. Yeah, I, I definitely will. Um, another event that happened that I'm going to touch briefly, and we'll explore this in a future episode, um, but we had Laura Levy, who's this awesome researcher from the University of Georgia Tech, I believe, um, and she came and had this great lecture about the future of esports and fan experiences at esports, where she did a whole deep dive into that. And I don't really want to summarize that. I want that to be, I want to explore that in more depth, um, especially as we have the upcoming like League of Legends World Championships as Valorant Esports kind of are on the rise. Um, so I want to explore that a little bit more. So I'm going to be saving that for a future episode. I don't have that planned just yet, but I, I feel like that lecture was really well done and really needed to kind of, it, it needs a more in-depth conversation about it. Uh, our last story for this episode um, is going to be a little, a little touchy. Not going <laughs> to lie. Um, we have the Bayonetta three controversy, which, if you've been following this, there is so much just information out there. So I'm going to try to like summarize it, get the story exactly right, and then we'll talk about it. Um, basically, what went down is Helena T Taylor, who is the voice of Bayonetta for Bayonetta one and Bayonetta two. Um, she wasn't coming back for the third, and no one really knew why until she tweeted out a couple weeks ago 
that the reason she didn't voice Bayonetta was due to her pay only being about $4,000. And of course, for people in the industry or like people who watch anime, for example, or just know about animation in general, this kind of makes sense. A lot of voice actors don't get paid nearly enough. And so this was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. That really sucks for her. Hopefully we can get this kind of figured out. Um, and then she also was asking fans to boycott the games, to take the money to charity and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, what kind of started getting a little iffy about the situation was in her third tweet about this whole situation. She kind of attacked Jennifer Hale, who was the new voice of Bayonetta. Um, and she said, quote, she has no right to say she is the voice of Bayonetta. I created that voice. She has no right to sign merchandise as Bayonetta. That betrayal is hers and hers alone. Which, I don't know about you, Ahima, but that's kind of when I started seeing red flags. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't really agree with you on that, like even a little bit, to be honest, because it's like, come on, just look at, so, uh, for instance, off the top of my head, Sonic. Sonic has plenty of voice actors to pick from, and none of them feel less or more worthy to voice the character. So you saying that you made the voice of a character, no matter how iconic, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really work like that. You didn't make the character, you voice her. So I don't think that you have the right to say that you own her, that you're the only one who voices her. It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, no, like, for example, I think of this recent thing with Charles, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Martinet. The iconic Mario voice actor. Now we have Chris Pat, Pratt voicing Mario, and say what you will about his performance, it would be a little weird if Charles came out and was like, that's not okay, I can't believe that he has done this, and I mean, that just doesn't feel right. You should never attack someone, especially in the same voice actor industry, where, as we know, they don't get paid enough, they kind of need to band together. In fact, I think... Hale and Taylor are in the same kind of voice acting union. Yeah. So this all just felt really weird. Yeah. It didn't it didn't it didn't really make sense to me in all honesty cuz it's like I understand where she's coming from but like the way that she executed just did not make sense. Like many people were coming out that her claims were like that she was lying about her claims, that she was getting paid more or um that she was offered more per session, but like that's not that I don't really think that's the main focus when it comes down to her story uh because like the point is is that voice actors especially video game voice actors they're underpaid compared to like TV film peers and other actors and you know it's just I, to be honest the point is is that they just need a lot more respect but not to the point where they should feel like they own the industry if that makes sense yeah own the character or own something the like that yeah. cuz a lot of work goes into like from the create the concept artist you know the kind of drawing out the character the 3d animator uh from the voice actor the writing team a lot of people own and contribute to that character and sure while voice acting is a huge part of that i don't necessarily feel like that makes you entitled to the character especially in this situation yeah um but going back to kind of what you were saying about the lies uh Jason Schreier at Bloomberg, which if you don't know him, he's kind of a really big name games journalist. Uh, he posts a lot of stuff about this. Uh, he published a piece that was saying that Taylor, in actuality, was offered about $4,000 per recording day, which would have totaled in about $15,000, 16000 
Um, but there were no royalties, which is a big way that these actors get paid, which is something Nintendo just doesn't do for some reason, <laughs> which is a whole thing that, you know, contributes to this kind of situation about voice actors not getting paid. Um, and then when she refused, they asked her again in a year if she would come back and do a cameo for the game for about $4,000, which if you don't know how they kind of went around this in the actual game is they say that this new Bayonetta is from a different universe and that's why her voice is different essentially. So they wanted her to come back and do a cameo as the original Bayonetta and have like a little multiverse situation, I guess. Um, but she still declined and that's when she published her tweets. And she came out after the story and was like, I, I don't remember exactly how she put it, but she wanted to refute these claims after saying, you know, they're, they're lies, they're lying to all of us, they're trying to cover their ass, I think is the quote that she used. Um, yeah. And then she came out and was like, uh, a lot of people have been calling me a liar and a gold digger, but I want to confirm my story. And she basically said that what Jason Schreier had posted was true. Um, and then the whole situation was made so much worse, in my opinion, when she published her her list of charities that she wanted people to donate to instead of buying the game. And of course, halfway down the list is a anti-abortion uh, charity, which don't want to get too much into politics <laughs> on here. That's not, that's not what this is about. All I'm going to say is that. I don't ally that. This was like last night or something. So. Oh, okay. Um, so as you were kind of saying though, like the whole point of this story is uh, obviously, there seems to be some sort of situation going on with Helena Taylor and Platinum Games, something else that we don't know about. I don't really want to touch on that. Just th this whole situation feels like it's just going to negatively affect the already underpaid voice actor industry. And I, I'm really sad to see how this is going to go. Yeah, well, they well, I think that, you know, her putting out the tweet was not the right. Well, lying about the tweet, if she did, was not the right thing to do. I still think that it's kind of necessary. You know, bringing light onto underpaid voice actors is one of the many steps that you're going to have to take if you really want to bring up the the support that the industry needs. But the way that she went about it kind of did more harm than good. I feel the exact same way. I kind of hope that we can take the negative aspect of this and not forget it of course but just kind of put it behind the fact of the matter that we need to be drawing more attention to this problem that voice actors don't get paid nearly enough um as i was saying before this is kind of a huge problem in anime as well i believe jujutsu kaisen zero the movie the english dub voice actors got paid like double digits for their role and that became a really successful movie and they never got like any sort of royalties or reimbursements and that's just awful to see like mm. these people deserve more credit for their work that's going to kind of conclude our new segment um we're going to move on to our upcoming expectations for or i'm sorry we're going to kind of move on to our upcoming what am i trying to say like your <laughs> upcoming releases and expectations for 2022 yes thank you um, so we kind of got a list of games that we want to chat about, what we're excited to see, uh, interested, maybe a little skeptical. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hima, why don't you start with your first one? Oh boy. So <laughs> my first one, the one that I'm most excited about because it's actually really, really close is God of War Ragnarok. Um, the release date for this one is November 9th of this year, obviously. And 
you know, one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this one is because I played uh, God of War, but not on the PS5. Um, I still don't have that, man. Um, I but I, say, I didn't know you had a PS5. I didn't. I, I feel like I got to clarify that because, you know, people start thinking like, oh, he played it on a PS, oh, a PS5? Oh, damn. I was like, no, I don't got that. I don't have that. Unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I, I did play the, the, I did play that one. And after I played that one, I actually went back to go and see if I could find the original God of War games and play through that. I was able to play through the first one, couldn't find the others. But um, as I was playing through this, I was kind of getting a grasp more of the story and more of the art direction that they were going for. And seeing that shift from the original games to what we have now, that just blew my mind. I was like, wow, like the step up that we have taken, the direction that Kratos' story is heading in, it's just amazing. And like, man, that shift from Greek mythology to Norse mythology, like at first, like at first when I saw the God of War trailer way back when, I didn't know who Kratos was. But then like after playing through like the first game, I was just like, God damn, that change from one mythology over to the other, like brings a lot of like lore along with it. And I love lore. So I really like that. (laughs) And, you know, in general, like I'm really excited to see where the studio is going to take it next, mainly because it's like God of War is a huge game. Uh, like it, it be it like blew up, got it on a lot of people's game of the year radars, and in general, I'm not really sure. Like I'm a little worried because I'm not really sure how they're gonna top this. It looks like they will be able to, but I'm worried because just the impact that the game left off in the gaming industry, it just brought a lot of people, you know, like brought a lot of people into a headspace with God of War, and I really like that. So I'm excited, but I'm also very worried because I don't want this to like, I want this to top it. You know, I want this to go a step up, but I would also be a little disappointed if it was kind of like at the same level because it's kind of like, well, you know, I I I always want to see gaming studios like improve their games and like take a step up on what they made previously to move us forward. So if they kind of like go back or like go back to the same level that they made with the, the God of War, um, or if they like take a step down, like I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm gonna be a little disappointed. But you know, that that's me. That's God of War. Yeah, I mean, I think we both share our hype and excitement for this. Um, I'm playing through God of War 2018 right now, and I, it's just, I consider it as close to a perfect game as we're gonna get, if I'm being honest. And I know that's high praise, but I just feel like there are so many systems and the story and all sorts of stuff that just kind of makes sense and it's just such a beautiful game to not only look at but play through um and by the way if you guys haven't checked out i'm not sure i'm trying to remember the name i think it's like understanding god of war it's this video essay that goes into how they changed the norse myths to kind of work with 2018 because they kind of for those that have played there's a specific character that's really important that kind of is revealed at the end of the game. And the fact that that character exists, I'm I'm trying not to spoil it, but the (laughs) fact that that character exists completely changes Norse mythology because that character is so integral in all the myths. So how they had to go about changing the myths, it's just fascinating to watch. Like, I highly recommend it. Um, That being said, playing through 2018, there are so many little things where I'm like, I can already tell I want like simple things like jumping off of a ledge to do an attack or jumping across a gap to do an attack. 
there are so many moments like that where I'm like, man, this is going to be sick in God of War Ragnarok because <laughs> I, w- I already want to do it in 2018, but I can't. And I'm really excited. I think I share the same sentiment with you that I don't know if they're going to be able to top the story aspect. I honestly hope, and I don't know if they're going to do this. I want them to pull a Red Dead sort of situation <laughs> where Kratos has to die. You play as Atreus for the second half. The closer we get, the more I feel like that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. Still want it to happen, though. You know, just to see yes. just to see that happen. I love my boy. I love my boy, Treyas. Playing as him and, you know, seeing, like, whether it would take that. That sounds really interesting, actually. I don't think they're mm-hmm. going to do that because Kratos is just that. Kratos is just that guy. Man, man said a quote where, like, death can have me once he's earned me. And I'm like, this. this. As as much as I, I love to like, so play, hyped. yeah. As much as I love to play uh, as Atreus, I, they're not gonna make that happen. Kratos is the man, you know. Played with him way back mm-hmm. when. It's not, and seeing him change and seeing him go through a story, like when he got the oh god, I don't really want to spoil that, but you know, he gets a certain weapon that he had in the previous I mean, games. Like, yeah, I, it's in all the Ragnarok promotional I, material. Uh, so if you don't know, yeah. like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm still gonna try because I know that there are some people yeah, who haven't go played God of War Ragnarok. I have friends, my brothers haven't, even though I have the game. So I'm trying to get them to play it. But you know, uh, he gets a certain weapon, and like the if you haven't played the previous games, you don't really know like the the emotional baggage that weapon brings with him putting them back on. So you know. There's, there's a, what I was trying to say is like there's a little bit of like you know lore with Kratos and there's a lot of emotional baggage coming with that character and people want to see him improve and grow that's why when he got a son and he became a dad people were freaking out me included once I figured out why that was important to begin with same I've only played like I want to say a couple hours of the original God of War but just playing through that and seeing who Kratos was and specifically how that weapon is like so integral to his old character it's just incredible to see this change in this reboot and how they didn't just reboot the game but the character and the relationships and it's just it's a beautiful game Mm -hmm. so moving on to kind of a pick that i think we both have as well um we've got calypso protocol which is going to be coming december 2nd this is a game from the dead space creators and developers um and the more I see from this game, the more excited I get. It looks scary as all hell, gory as all hell, and it's just right up my alley. I am unbelievably hyped for this game. Same here. I don't see. I I I never got to play the original Dead Space game, so like getting into seeing what the studio, like seeing what the original creators are making now, has got me really excited. I don't know much about this game. But just seeing like promotional material and trailers and things like that has got me really excited. I'm not much of a horror game guy, but I definitely want to get into it more because like I played like only a handful of horror games and they were like really horror games in a sense. More like, I don't know, horror games, horror games with horror element like Resident Evil games and things like that. I tried to get into one that was like strictly super horror that was like called Scorn. It's on Xbox Game Pass and um you know there was a lot of weird feedback with that one so i don't really i don't really like want to say that that's one of the main horror games that i've been playing so far so that's why i'm going to be that's why i'm really excited for callisto protocol because it feels like you know a remake well not a remake it feels like a new take on the kind of 
action survival horror that we're going to be having in 2022. Yeah, us horror fans, we're eating well. You know, <laughs> like we've got Clips of Protocol, Dead Space Remake, which we'll talk about, and Resident Evil 4 Remake, which we'll also talk about. And that's like in the next couple of months. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Kind of speaking about Scorn, it's a game that I've also been playing. I, I would say I'm like four or five hours into it. And yeah, it's definitely like a weird take on horror. Um, I don't know. It's really it's really squeamish and squishy, <laughs> which I, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, so I'm excited to see these kind of more, I want to say like more jump scare and more in the moment, uh, what's like more combat heavy horror versus what Scorn was, which is more like you're looking and you're seeing this kind of gross stuff and you're just feeling uncomfortable. I'd rather feel scared out of my mind than feel uncomfortable. So I'm really excited for these. Yeah, Scorn is kind of like a walking sim. Like, I don't know why, but it was never like advertised as being like a puzzle game. And I found more puzzles in that game than I was like, like Peggle or something or playing Tetris. There was a lot of like little details and nuances about that game that I was just taken aback by. You said... (laughs) squeamish uh, i described the game as like a lot of wet sloppy sound yeah, i'm not gonna say that exactly <laughs> it's just weird i mean it's cool because like the art direction they have is like the only one that's out there like a combination of george R. R. martin and some other like i'm not even sure like french artists oh. that they got going on but it's it's the guy who made the art for the Alien franchise. I I don't remember his name. Uh, yeah, that's George I wrote R. something about him, but yeah, that's George no, R. R. no, no, no. That's uh, that's Game of Thrones guy. Oh, pff, I'm an idiot. Wait, H. <laughs> no, R. No, Geiger. I got it confused. How did I get H. R. Geiger? Yes. H. R. Geiger. Ah, Jesus. Uh, well, yeah. we're gonna be talking about George R. R. Martin later, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's Callisto Protocol. And another game that I think a lot of people are generally excited for is The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which used to be called Breath of the Wild 2, but, you know, they recently released that it had a new title. And I played the original Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. Loved that. Absolutely did. Didn't really justify me getting it on the Nintendo Switch because I already played through it, all of it. My brother actually played 100% completed the game, so there's that. Um, as far And as- all the Korok seeds? Yeah, he got all of. Them. I don't know why, but oh. he's he's a bit of a completionist like that. He hundred percent of Doom That's as well. Insane. So, I, I don't. Know. Those are fun ones to hundred. I hundred percent of Doom Eternal, and that's fun. I can't imagine collecting nine hundred Korok seeds and saying that's fun. To be honest, <laughs> neither could I. Man, I don't get him sometimes. But yeah, that's what he did. Uh, I hope they're not gonna have that kind of. Uh, I hope they're not going to have that amount of Korok seeds in the next one. Like, Jesus. Because I want to, but once I saw the number, and once I, saw, once I kept hearing, like, their voices, the little, yeah, after, like, the hundredth one, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. That, that is, that gives me nightmares. <laughs> but yeah. It's- yeah, and I just, I feel like the fact that after you collect all of them, you get, a, like, a gold piece of shit. Like- I feel like that's just... <laughs> There's no point, you know? Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, Nintendo's literally just, like, kind of <laughs> throwing some shade at completionists. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, listen, y'all, y'all, y'all are, like, real shitty gamers, so we're going to give you this nice little gold shit trophy. There you go. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Ah. yeah, but uh, as I said kind of last time, I 
Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is like one of my favorite, if not my favorite game. Um, and I am also so excited for Tears of the Kingdom. I'm kind of excited with how little they're showing us. I think we've only gotten like a 30 second, maybe like a minute of gameplay overall. Yeah. Um, but from what we've gotten of like the mix between Skyward Sword and exploring these sky islands and as well as exploring Hyrule and caves and like the little story implications of how it's gonna be darker and more akin to Majora's Mask. I am so excited to see what they're gonna do. And to be honest, I am totally fine if they don't release any more promotional material for this. I almost don't want them to because I know this experience is probably going to, it might not top Breath of the Wild, but it's going to be good. And I can't, I want to just go into it knowing as little as possible. Yeah, same. So I'm not, to be honest, if they do release more promotional material, I'm just not going to look at it. I might listen to the soundtrack because to be honest, I'm liking the soundtrack that they got going on so far. So there's that. But as far as, like, gameplay, like, I kind of just don't want to be in the know. Like, we already saw little snippets of, like, what kind of utility items Link might have. There was even, like, I don't know why, but, like, someone sent me, like, a picture of, like, this kind of, like, little mini statue thing. Or was, it wasn't mini. It was just a regular statue of, like, Link with, like, this cursed arm not being integral to the story. And it's like, I didn't want to know that. I want to go in blind, man. But, yeah. Ugh. Really excited. Yeah. Um... I, I agree with you that the soundtrack sounds better. I really hope that they take, you know, pro a couple of the problems from Breath of the Wild, such as the shrines and the dungeon. I mean, yeah, the shrines and the dungeons and the soundtrack. All they need to do is just kind of fine-tune those and keep the same open-world structure, and I think they've got a great game on their hands. Like you said, with God of War Ragnarok, we love to see when developers and studios improve upon previous uh, iterations, and... If they do that with Tears of the Kingdom, I, I'm excited to see, and I honestly think it could surpass Breath of the Wild. We'll have to see how well they do that, though. Definitely. So continuing on, we have another pretty recent game. Uh, this is going to be a little... This is interesting for me. We've got Sonic Frontiers, which is coming out one day before God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> it's got um, November 8th. Right? Like... I don't know why they're doing that. They should have delayed it in my mind. But I'm honestly, I don't know if I'm necessarily like excited or anticipated for this game. I'm more excited to see the reviews and see if it's actually a good game more than I am excited to play it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, uh, I'm also more interested to see like, well, I mean, I'm, like, Sonic's storylines, like, they've kind of been hit or miss, but, uh, you know, as far as this one goes, like, I want to know mainly, like, why they decided to go with a pseudo... Is it pseudo open world or is it actually open world? I don't even know. But if it is actually I'm open... I'm pretty sure it's pseudo yeah. open world. Yeah. I was thinking, like, you can't... Sonic Speed and just, like, previous games and how, like, Sonic games used to be, they're probably not going to transition to, like, a full open world game. Because that's what I thought this... That when I saw the first trailer for Sonic Frontiers, that's what I thought. I was like, is it actually a Sonic open world game? And I was like, wait, no, it's not. It's definitely not. But, yeah, as far as it plays, like, it's you know, Sonic. Like, if they can make the gameplay fun, um, then, it, you know, they got that down for them. The music obviously has to slap. That's it has to. If it doesn't, it's zero out of ten game in my opinion. <laughs> I, I'm not even that big of a Sonic fan, but I love the soundtrack. Um, 
And as far as like story wise, like where they're gonna be taking the story, I don't know what they're gonna be doing with it. It could, like I'm not even sure if that matters. I just wanna I just wanna know how the game plays and if it plays well, because that's that's one of the main things that this studio is like got like hanging over their heads when it comes to whether or not people are gonna be buying it or not is if it's gonna play well. It's the latest iteration of uh, the Sonic games, and if this one doesn't play well, then you know, they tried something and they failed. So that means they got to stick with the previous formula they've had for years now. And I don't want to see that. I want to see Sonic try something new. We got the movies going on, which, you know, brought video game movies on the spotlight or on the radar of many people. And I want to see um, that same kind of hype, that same kind of, like, attention given to the Sonic games themselves. Yeah, I I don't know much about Sonic. I played Sonic Mania and like a couple of the older ones, none of the 3D ones. So I don't know much about like story or gameplay about that. Um, I do hope that it's good. Like I hope Sonic fans can get another good 3D Sonic game. I don't feel like we've gotten one in years. Um, but that being said, I'm not, I'm interested. I don't have a lot of hope for, for them. <laughs> Neither do I, but you know, like I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. Uh, so I'm going to speed, uh, this one was, oh God, this one, I, I actually don't even know what to say about this one, mainly because there hasn't really been a lot of information shown about this one. So this one is a bit of an obscure one for me personally. It is called little devil inside. And it was shown back in God, I don't even know, like 2019 or something like that. Um, the release date that we have right now, we don't have one because <laughs> I, we haven't heard much from this game ever since the last release trailer. Um, and I don't even know what to say about this one. I'm just mentioning it mainly because it is still one that I like. As I was looking for games that I'm excited for this year, I saw this one. And although I don't know if even if it's coming this year or next year, after seeing the trailers, my excitement for this game got like reinvigorated because it's like it's describing it as a little weird. It's like a survival. It's basically a survival game with a nice aesthetic with like combat and things like that. And that's kind of all the information I can give you because they haven't really given us a lot of information to begin with. But, you know, I'm just kind of rapid fire mentioning that one because if you haven't heard about it, I suggest you look into it as much like, well, I don't want to say much like Scorn, but, you know, like Scorn was trying to make something that we haven't seen before. And that's what I think Little Devil Inside is trying to do because I've never seen an, I've never seen a game try to cram that much stuff into it. Survival, crafting a bit of horror elements and like open world well, pseudo open world like survival things like that it was interesting uh but skipping that yeah yeah oh. real quick it also looks like that's gonna have like cooperative multiplayer yeah. which is really interesting to me like there's a lot the art style looks good it's just i'm excited to see how it goes a lot going for it that's why i'm excited for it but you know like i'm also worried because we haven't heard anything from it in a minute so I don't know if my excitement is warranted, if they're actually still continuing to work on it, if they're making progress, whatever the case may be. I just really, really hope it meets, you know, my base expectations because my expectations for this game are low. But, man, I just don't want them to undershoot. Um, skipping forward on that, we're going to mention something <laughs> um, a bit more interesting. Like, um, so my, you had your guest Michael come in last week. And as we know, he's the Dragon Quest expert. I might even, dare I say, the number one Dragon Quest fan. 
Dragon Connoisseur, I think is what he said, because he's been watching Dragon Ball Super and all. Something like that. Something like that. So the new game that in the Dragon Quest series that they mentioned, Dragon Quest XI, first of all, got to say, one of my favorite games as well. I don't know why it's not in my top. It's just going back to it and playing it. It's not. I don't know why. But the new installment, Dragon Quest XII, the title of this one is called Fates of Flame. Now, we don't even have a date for this one either. It's kind of stupid because we have, we're trying to find games that we were excited for this year. And we got two ones that we haven't mentioned that we don't even know if they're coming out this year or not. But, you know, um, this one I am also very excited for because I actually had not played Dragon Quest 3 or the previous Dragon Quest installments. I know Michael's going to be mad at me for that one. But, you know, Dragon Quest Eleven really got me hooked into the series. The story, the characters. Silvando is not my favorite. I'm sorry. Um, the gameplay, I'm like a really strategy type guy, so I like, you know, mix and matching my party members like that, and I like the sort of open world elements that they had. It was a lot of items, a lot of a big expansion, a lot of traveling, and I just, I like the side quests too. They were nice and quirky, and obviously the art style is top tier. It, it, it's Akira Toriyama's art style, it's going to be top tier, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I'm so I wasn't like I I like Dragon Quest Eleven uh, a decent bit. I I think same with you. Where like I'm surprised I didn't like it more. It's not in like my top ten. I don't even. It might be in like my top twenty or thirty. Um, but I'm excited to see Dragon Quest Twelve because there's a lot of talks of them like not necessarily rebooting it, but changing some aspects. Like the it's gonna be a more darker story. It's gonna be different style of combat so i'm interested to see how those changes kind of affect it um and i'm definitely going to be playing it mostly because michael will probably hate on me <laughs> if i don't yeah but you know just, um and keeping on with the jrpg train we got to talk about final fantasy 16 because oh boy does this look like a video game let me tell you uh i'm just amazed at the promotional material that they keep putting out and how it keeps looking better and better with like this game of thrones style fantastic story um the fact that you can like all of a sudden turn into different game modes with the summons and how it turns into like a fighting game where you're fighting with like kaijus the like this actual gameplay as well looks really cool with the sword fighting and how it looks almost devil may cry and like the war, I, I'm just amazed at what they're putting into this, and I really hope that they can pull it off, because I know Final Fantasy 15 was kind of a letdown for a lot of people. Final Fantasy 7 Remake, on the other hand, was pretty highly regarded. I believe it won a couple Game of the Years, like kind of funny, gave it their Game of Game of the Year. But Final Fantasy 16 is just going to be, I think, is going to be an, on another level. Um, and honestly, it would be crazy if we get Dragon Quest Twelve and Final Fantasy Sixteen in twenty twenty three. We have a good old battle of the JRPGs. Oh boy! If they both come out, then I'm just not gonna have enough time to play either of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dedicate like twelve hours a day playing Final Fantasy Sixteen and twelve hours a day playing uh, Dragon Quest Twelve because it's like, oh my god, it's it's so much it's so much cool stuff coming into that one. Actually, um, when I was I, I played I played the Final Fantasy VII remake. I actually hadn't I hadn't finished it because I have a tendency to do that. I actually never really played any other previous Final Fantasy games because of that. But I 
after playing the 7 Remake, I was really excited. I'm really excited for 16. And again, I'm still kind of a noob, so I don't really know all that much that goes into like Final Fantasy, but I'm definitely like really excited to see what they put out next. And the stuff that they show in promotional material is just looking awesome. Something that I think new players, like me, kind of, is gonna, are going to enjoy and like really appreciate. Yeah, I also played through... I, I haven't finished 7 Remake either. Um, I, got, I, I think that the part I've gotten to is a really slow part, and it's where a lot of people kind of drop off. Um, so one of these days, I'll get back, I'll push through, I'll see the, the kind of controversial ending. <laughs> um, but for now, I'm just really looking forward to Final Fantasy 16. Mm. Um, and then last game for this segment, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Resident Evil 4 Remake. We got a bunch of new gameplay and previews and stuff for that. And as someone who is getting into Resident Evil because of these remakes, like with Resident Evil 2 Remake and 3 Remake, and then hopping back and doing uh, playing through 7 and 8, I think 4 looks really good. It's already a great game from its original. So being able to see it in a modern light where you don't have to stand still while aiming <laughs> or like you can parry a chainsaw with your handgun, like... <laughs> How, do I even need to say anything else? Like that's it. <laughs> yeah, man, it's just it's just the definition of badass. You ever, <laughs> you see, exactly. Literally. After playing um after playing Final Fantasy, nope, Final Fantasy. After playing Resident Evil Village <laughs> and uh, Resident Evil Biohazard cuz I played Village first and then Biohazard. Didn't finish either cuz again I have a tendency to do that. I was like, I kind of want to see what these previous games got going on. And when they said they were making a 4 remake, trying to go in blind, not trying to know everything. But uh, I'm really excited, like just in general. I know that um, I'm probably gonna be really like bad at it, or like I know that I'm probably gonna be like, cause for some reason these type of games like really scare me. Action survival games they really got me scared. So <laughs> I hope I can finish this one. But you know I'm gonna push through and I'm trying to get it done. Yeah, I'm curious with uh, your playthrough of Resident Evil Eight. Did you get to the uh, dollhouse? I did. That is one of the f- most frightening things I've ever played. Oh, like, God. <laughs> I have to, like, for me, I have to play with other people, like, in the room, because I cannot be left alone, like, at, like, at night with that, because it's like, God damn, that's just, it was unsettling. I hate dolls anyways. I hate mannequins anyways. So it wasn't, that just didn't help. Huh. Yeah, I just, uh, speaking of kind of horror games uh you know halloween is coming up and i'm like looking through and i'm like i don't really want to go trick-or-treating i don't really have any like party plans so i downloaded outlast uh, <laughs> oh my so god I, I guess that's my plan and i am i'm terrified if i'm being honest like i want to push through and i want to at least start it i don't know if i'll be able to that's like the one game like, you know i'm pretty I, I would say i'm a horror game fan that's the one game where every time i look at the trailers i'm like I might be too scared to play this game. Like, it just looks frightening. Listen, you're braver than me. I could not even hit that download button even if I wanted to. I know for a fact that once I hit that button, the second I got on the title screen, I'm going to hop right back off. I can't. I can't deal with the game like that. I'm not even going to try. I'm not, I'm not going to sugar. I'm not even going to try. Yes. We'll see how it goes. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's kind of our expectations for the rest of the games coming out in 2022 and 
um it's a great it's looking great for the future of gaming i just we're in such a good space for that but moving on to our kind of deep dive um we're going to talk about elden ring which i at least for me i oh i guess it's not because xenoblade chronicles 3 is also it's probably it's in line with being my game of the year <laughs> we'll see when the actual time comes around um but this is kind of like an interesting perspective because I'm someone who's played through most of the Souls games. I've played through Sekiro, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, uh, a good portion of Dark Souls 1. Um, whereas Ahima, this is his first ever Souls game. So I'm kind of interested to kind of compare our reactions to the game or our playthroughs because if I'm being honest, man, you are a gamer. I don't know if I've told you that. You're just like good at games and i don't know how you do it <laughs> i want to say i'm good at games like i can get stuff done but like eh, i'm not gonna hold you this one this one kicked my ass like if i were just to sum up the whole experience it was so interesting so stressful and it kicked my ass in like ways i didn't know it could be so yeah you were right this is my first souls game um i had other friends who played sekiro and i saw gameplay for that i I'd mess around with that, but like not more than like an hour, because I, 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 like at first I'm, I was like one of those people who were like, if the game's so damn hard, why do you keep playing it? Like I couldn't understand why you would like push through to keep playing it. But then once I like actually saw Elden Ring, and I was like, oh yo, this looks really interesting. I decided to just you know take a shot out the wind and just buy it and play it. My first experience through it, like my first playthrough through it, because I've played the game, like I've played through the entire story at least like four times now. Um, looking back on it my first playthrough through it was just filled with like frustration at like things that didn't make sense like there'd be times where i would be trying to like sneak up on an enemy and then i would just get jumped by like dogs and things like that and then i would just immediately die the amount of times i died in the beginning like that killed me it almost got me to drop the game because i was getting so frustrated at it but then you know the thing i like about Elden ring is that if you don't want to like because there are bosses all over the map and if you, the thing I like about Elden Ring, Elden Ring is that if you don't want to fight that boss, you can move on to the next one. You can go do something else, go t level yourself up, get new gear. You can do something else. And I think that is what kind of saved the playthrough for me because Agil, way back in the beginning, the first dragon boss that you fight, I was hellbent on beating that guy day one. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't because I didn't have the right gear or I wasn't good enough to go fight him. So I went to go do something else. And... That kind of saved it for me. I would go out, fight giants. I would fight different bosses and things like that. Some things I got lost, like where I'd be like, am I moving forward in the story? Am I doing something else? I don't know. But I really, I really, really, as a new player, I really like the fact that if you don't want to like be stuck on one boss, you can go test your luck somewhere else and then like cycle back into it. Um, as far as like story wise goes, because like you know gameplay, the gameplay was fine for me. I didn't, I don't really have any. Real, real quick, just to kind of touch on the gameplay I, before we go, get talking about story. Um, I feel like Elden Ring, coming from like a Souls fan, it's definitely the most accessible, and I think that's why so many people like you have gotten through it. Because if it was the previous iterations of Bloodborne or Sekiro or Dark Souls Three, if you get stuck on a boss, your only option is just running headfirst into that boss. Or going and grinding and leveling up, which is almost never fun. You just have to kill these basic enemies to get enough souls or echoes to level up, and that's just not fun. Whereas with Elden Ring, 
you, instead of running headfirst into the same boss, you can go explore, get stronger. But after a certain point, you need to have the skills to progress. Uh, I think it's with the second fight of Morgoth or like Melania. After a certain point, it doesn't matter what level you are. You just need to get good. And I feel like it does a decent job at creating that sort of difficulty cap. Um, so it's, you know, it's de it's definitely interesting to hear that from like a noob's perspective, I guess. Yeah, I, I definitely do like the way that I definitely do like the fact that you said that the gameplay is more accessible because I remember that my uh, when I was seeing other people play it, they were like they didn't like Sekiro at first because, you know, it locked you into kind of one weapon, even though it allowed you to have more time to get, you know, like you said, get good with that kind of weapon and do better. People didn't like it because, you know, like for a new player, if you don't like the weapon that you have, if you don't like its moveset, you're likely not going to get through it as you're kind of locked in to understanding the weapon itself. And if you don't like it, you don't really have any other options. I think that's personally why I didn't get through Sekiro as long as I did. Because, I mean, I didn't hate the katana, but I wasn't really feeling the moveset. And like the Miri counter, I sucked at that. I don't know why. I just sucked at that. Whereas in Elden Ring, you have a whole plethora of weapons to pick from. Like hammers, giant great swords, you know, dual swords, daggers, wands, staves, even ranged weapons, things like that. So I, I really like that because it allowed me to, gameplay-wise, it allowed you different ways to tackle on an enemy or a group of enemies or even a boss. You can come up with different strategies to use. You can have different game plans to go into. You can buff yourself in different ways. You can even just choose to not take that fight period and go try to see if you can enchant your weapon a little bit more or give yourself some kind of perks or upgrade your armor so i just like that there were multiple different ways to help you get through a challenging fight like obviously like the whole get good thing like if you're not good at the game you're not going to get to the game no matter how much no matter how many things they allow you to improve about yourself if you're not if you're not good at the game you're not going to get through it but i still like that they allowed you to allowed you multiple different ways to improve yourself and get through challenging fights. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say, like, I still think Sekiro is my favorite Souls game, um, which it's hard to explain, but the fact that by the end of the game, you do get so good at parrying and using the katana, it's a different feeling than any other weapon in a Souls game. Um, that being said, I do understand people that like appreciate the variety. Um, I'm definitely someone who I keep trying to go back to play Elden Ring. I've beaten it like three times now. And every time I go back to beat it, I'm like, I just want to use the guts berserker sword. And like, I want to try different things. Right. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't like this. Let's just go back and role playing as guts from berserk. <laughs> that's a profile picture on discord anyway. So that just makes sense. I just, I, exactly. Personally, I just like seeing big numbers, I'm killing enemies in one hit. That that's funny. I like cheesing the enemies in the game, just to totally annihilate them. Which yeah, that's like that's something you can totally do. And even just looking at like Vatividia, who's you know the lore oh, expert oh yeah. with all these games, he just published like this builds video, and seeing all the builds that he creates, where like you can stack damage like ten times and get to a point where you can just one-shot enemies with your builds is insane to me. Like, there's so much depth past just beating the game that it's so interesting that we're still discovering stuff, and it's like, what, six or seven months since the, since the game's come out? Yeah. 
it's like it's, it's like it's, it's the game is like still evolving because they're still putting out like um updates and like bug fixes and you know patch notes out there so i'm looking back at it like it's, it's been a minute since i went back in but there's still new builds updates to builds slight changes to things that people have made and like ways that you can go about completing the game that i'm just like i kind of want to go back in and try something else because again i was just using like guts berserk sword or like uh, there was this purple stone sword that allowed you to like summon rocks and things like that and use explosions like Rata, Rat, nope, Radagon's sword. And no, uh, is it oh, Radon? I said Radagon, yeah, Radon's sword, the, the horsey boy, yeah. So, of course, I would, you know, he's where I, ima- he's yeah. where I imagine for some reason. Their names are so similar, good lord. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're all like these R's things that, like, yeah, just bec- I've only because I've played the game three times and looked through all the lore, I feel like I've got a pretty decent, but then I still get like Rhaenyra. No, that's, that's from dragon or that's from <laughs> house of the dragon. Oh my gosh. This proves my point. George R. R. Martin, get your stuff together. Oh uh, yeah. But like, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, but I still like the fact that they're still updating the game with like patches and things like that and DLC because it makes you want to go back in and play the game over. And even though I've beaten the game like at least like three or four times already, I want to try something else. Like the four times that I played through that game, I have not touched magic or ranged weapons at all. Not because I, like just just because I like didn't really see a point into it. I like big numbers, but I, I also want to see what else the game has to offer because magic is busted, busted. So, you know, and then playing through the game, like using a wand or a staff, just like on its own or playing through the game with like different weapons. I've heard that can like change your whole ex- perspective and experience with the game. It'll feel like I'm playing with a completely different game. You know, if you like go up against the boss with like the berserker set and you just one shot them, you just tank all the hits. Try playing through that while using magic where you have to stay a little bit more distant and uh, try to keep up your uptime, your DPS without taking a hit. You know, it changes up the whole strategy that you had going into it. It feel like a completely different game. That's why I want to go back into it. But I don't know. I, I really like that sword, man. I can't give that up for a staff. <laughs> I can't. That's my thing of like, I prefer the close range fights. I, during my second playthrough, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into this magic focused, you know? I'm going to try to play that way. And about halfway through the game, I was like, I, I just don't find this as fun as getting up and personal and blocking all the hits no, and can't. chopping them with this big ass sword. Like, I just, Man, for me, magic wasn't fun, but I totally understand people that love magic or like want to get into that. And that's what's so cool about Elden Ring is that all these builds work really well. Another thing that you kind of brought up was the story aspect of Elden Ring. Uh, coming from someone who's maybe like not used to this type of storytelling from from software kind of what were your impressions of that okay so like a lot of the impressions that i have through the story like games was like dark souls is kind of that game with a story a really intricate lore and stories but it's more of just like it's there and it's up to the player to really piece it together and personally I'm one of those people who just I'm not smart enough to try and figure out the story or I don't have enough time to go try and find every single like piece of paper in order to get intricate details about the story. Like I'd rather just wait until other people like uh, the content creator that you mentioned on YouTube to piece it all together and like get the story then and there. But as far once I figured that out, like after my third playthrough, uh, knowing the story and a bit more in depth, I have to say it is I, I, I honestly think it's incredible. It's. 
it's like so intricate. Like there's so many pieces and points that you like you interact in the story. And once you actually start making the connections, it starts to like light a light bulb in your head. And it works like really, really well for some reason. I don't know how they got it, but I really like it. I just don't like not being told much of anything. It's just like, you are foul tarnished and you must get the Elden Ring. And I'm like, well, why? And it's just like, just do it. And I'm like, okay. That's not going to tell me anything else, but okay. The presentation. Personally, I don't like it, but I could see why it works because there's just a lot of depth of the story. I just don't really like how the fact that they just don't do a good job of explaining it. Like, at all. Maybe that's... Yeah, I feel like that's probably my biggest gripe about Elden Ring. Like, I love it. Um, and I, I've actually really digged the story. I've heard that a lot of people don't enjoy the story as much. I do feel that Bloodborne went about it a lot better. Where there's just, like, certain moments where you're like, oh, shit, that's, like, that makes sense. I understand what's happening. And you don't necessarily have to look through all the item descriptions. Whereas with Elden Ring, you can be like, yo, that was, like, that was insane. That was hype. I don't really know what just happened, but it was cool. Like... I don't know. There were a lot of moments like that where once you figure out the lore from mostly Vati Media, um, then you're like, oh, that's so cool. That makes sense. Whereas some of their older games, it just like you kind of understand more about what's happening just through little things, I guess. Yeah. Little bits and lore pieces like that. Again, I don't really like all that much, but it's. It's just the, the the direction the game went in with that. Um, but where the direction the game's going now, my segue, um, is merchandise and promotional material. So Elden Ring is not the beginning. It's, or Elden Ring is just the beginning. I said not the beginning. Elden Ring is just the beginning. <laughs> That's what Bandai Namco said in a couple of articles and a couple of tweets that they posted out that Elden Ring was just going to be the first of the first IP that they have. And they're going to be focusing on this IP in order to, like, expand upon it and make other IP related or revolving around Elden Ring. Um, I was kind of hoping that they, like, I know other people were kind of hoping that they focus on Sekiro's IP. But personally, I like I like the fact that they're going to be focused on Elden Ring more for the future. There's tons of promotional material they got going on and tons of, like, things that they, and ideas that they might have. Like, I heard rumors about them suggesting that it could lead to movies and TV shows, bringing in the original voice actors as well. Um, there's also, you know, I'm sure you've heard that there's a board game that might be coming out uh, pretty soon. And I was also excited for that one because, <laughs> like, you know, getting excited for a board game and all is just, like, interesting to me. Like, like a video, like a video game adaptation into a board game is something that I haven't heard of before. Cause we have video game adaptations into movies and things like that, but a video game adaptation into a board game is just that's just that's just wild to me. Um, but I'm glad to see that they're expanding on the IP into areas where we haven't really seen games in general take, and it's really and I'm just really excited to see where they're gonna move it on to next. Yeah, like a tabletop RPG of Elden Ring sounds... I mean, that's kind of what they mean by a board game, right? Is that what I'm remembering? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Then, like, I feel like that's going to be really cool. Um, that world is really... It's really perfect for that sort of scenario where the lore and the fantastical elements are really work for that. Um, what I'm more interested in is definitely the whole TV show and movie aspect of it. Because from software is storytelling is 
like they have really good stories but the way that they tell them is rather unique of like having them be in the background and stuff so i'm interested to see how that kind of relates over to a more specific storytelling aspect um i feel like we're seeing and i want to have a discussion about this on a future episode i think not the next episode but the one after we're going to have a discussion on this topic of just the amount of movie and tv show adaptations of video games we're going to get but i'm interested like this is so interesting to see all of these ips and franchises moving over i'm not sure how well it's gonna work in actuality and practice yeah i've seen like a lot i've seen like a lot of people like give like negative feedback about it or being related to it and like i mean i can absolutely understand that but like you know i'm also like pretty hopeful because Again, Sonic was kind of, uh, the Sonic movie was kind of that video game adaptation that people were like, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one that's really going to, like, put um, video games and movies, like, put them together. It's really going to, like, it like I don't know, like, innovate the the, the whole video gaming industry as a whole. Um, but then, like, there are rumors of, like, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn one out there, and it's like, you guys can all talk about it um, in, in the next session, but... I'm excited, but I'm also very worried. Yeah, I think we're like, you know, I'm a huge Last of Us fan, and I think we're getting like some interesting aspects with like the Last of Us show. But then again, I think that just came out as like one of the most expensive shows to shoot ever. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if that can, you know, the content and the what's the like the reviews and the scores of that can necessarily relate to the rest of the industry because they might not have the same sort of money to spend on making it good um so i'm interested to see that and it's crazy to me that all this is happening like let's be honest here it's happening because of sonic yeah like who could have expected (laughs) that sonic would come out with a movie and spawn this whole like thing this is crazy like bandwagon this whole like bandwagon of just like games wanting to just like go into like just put themselves on the big screen which i mean like it's just why sonic is michael it's like jesus sonic was like kind of not being on the radar before that movie and now it's kind of like had a whole resurgence like a second coming when when that movie came out because my my brothers like who like have never seen like a sonic show or like sorry played a sonic game all that much they saw that and they were like all in it. They they became Sonic fans after that movie, after the first one. I was just like, damn, really? Yeah, my five year old sister is a Sonic fan, <laughs> and I, like she just came home one day from school. I was driving her home, and she was like, "Hey, uh, I want like, do you know Sonic?" And I was like, "The restaurant," and she's like, "No, the the blue guy." <laughs> said the restaurant. I was like, How do you know Sonic? <laughs> you weren't even and born she by was... then. Like you weren't around when he first came I, out. But like she said, the restaurant. Right. Yeah, and she was like, "Yeah, no, my friends they got like a McDonald's toy of Sonic," and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's actually pretty cool," and we just got chatting, and she was like, "Yeah, no, it seems really fun," and I was like, "All right, you know what? I got like our afternoon plans. We're we're gonna watch Sonic too," <laughs> and she really enjoyed it. Like, there's this Sonic TV show that's coming out in a couple of weeks, and I'm honestly excited to sit down with her and watch it because something about this blue fast hedgehog really gets her excited. And I don't know, it's so funny to me. I didn't know there was a TV show coming out about it. What is that even gonna be about? Is it gonna be like the old like 
uh, Toon one that they had way back when, where it was like basically Sonic was just modern day Roadrunner or something like that? I'm not sure. It seems definitely like a kid's show where it's just like this group of hedgehogs and fast people going getting into trouble and you know the weekly like oh no Eggman stole the thing we got to go catch him and then nothing gets resolved yeah, like a monster leak or, or something I'm, I'm fine for that something like that you know, like i'm good with that you know kids getting into sonic nowadays especially with like the tv show and the movies coming out i'd be all for it i just like i just don't want it to get like oversaturated sonic kind of feels like it's gotten oversaturated game wise which is why I'm glad the movie adaptation of it kind of like breathed new life into it. Cause like I was tired, I'm tired in all honesty of just like seeing like, like trash Sonic renditions nowadays. Cause it's like, with like Sonic forces and things like that. Like I, I didn't really like that at all. But the movie it like, I don't know, kind of like re- reignited my love for the, the character. And I really kind of want to see where it goes on forward with it. Yeah, it's crazy to me that, like, I think we've gotten to a point where the movies might be more successful than the games. It's wacky, and, though. Or at least, like, cost, yeah, it's wacky. Like, we might get to a point where Sonic becomes a movie and TV show-specific character and no longer a games character. If, like, for example, if Frontiers comes out and it's just not that good, no. it might honestly change to that. and. That's wild to see. Yeah, that's why I'm really hoping that Frontiers is, like, as good as, like, well, I don't really think anybody's thinking that it's as good as it looks, because when we first saw it, it looked bad. But if, so- if Frontiers is better than we thought, then, you know, maybe we won't just, maybe Sonic will finally stay with video games and not just become a whole movie character. Maybe we'll still have our favorite video game character still with us, because I want to see a good Sonic game. It has been a minute since we have. Yeah, um, so we, <laughs> I'm realizing we kind of went on a bit of a tangent, which is totally fine. That's exactly what we want. Um, but kind of to end off our section about Elden Ring, <laughs> which oh my God, that's what we're talking I'm about. Trying to remember how we got to Sonic. <laughs> um, but yeah, at least for me with Elden Ring, I, I'm gonna be, su- I, I am surprised if another game beats it out for Game of the Year. I'm still having like internal discussions with myself about whether or not. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Elden Ring is my game of the year and that might all change in two weeks when uh, you know God of War Ragnarok comes out yeah. which we should have an episode uh, going into a deep dive on that um, but I don't know do you kind of agree is it your game of the year See, right Elden now? Elden Ring is definitely up there as game of the year for me uh, I'm actually again I'm a little weird I actually also have Sifu up there because it came back way back when and I was thinking like Sifu is a good game but I know like months later down the line People are going to fall out and forget about it, but it's it's still, like, up there for me because it's, like, I haven't... Re- there's there's not really a lot of just, like, specific fighting games like Sifu. Even if Sifu is a little short, um, but it's up there. Um, but as far as Elden Ring goes, it's definitely, definitely going to be, like, up there as one of my game of the year. Whether or not God of War Ragnarok will top it will honestly depend on if God of War Ragnarok can top 2018 God of War. If it doesn't, then, well... It won't be well. It's still gonna be up there as like a contender for my game of the year, but I don't think it will. Mainly because Elden Ring, I feel, shook up its f- fan base and the franchise of the Soul series more than I feel like 2018 or uh, God of War Ragnarok changed 2018 God of War. Yeah, that's a great point. 
it, it all is. I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, well, just depends. Um, and it also depends if I like. It also depends if I like the gameplay of the game. I love 2018 God of War. Um, but if they if they go back on it, because I've seen that happen where they try to make changes to how the game played from the original or like from like from how 2018 played, and it just it just sucked. It just sucked. So as long as they like keep the gameplay like staying the same and you know like uh, maybe up the difficulty just a little bit more because like I was kind of breezing through the um, breezing through the game a little bit after I got everything settled. But, you know, just up the difficulty a little bit and make sure that you don't fumble the gameplay. You know, we'll be fine. As far as story goes, you can they can kind of do whatever they want with it. As long as it's like, you know, it's like a, not, not a tongue twist. As long as it like turns heads, you know, the story can't be tame in my opinion. If the story just, if the story of God of War Ragnarok is, doesn't really change up or shift up like mytho- uh, Norse mythology, like you said, it changed it up like certain things about it in order to make it really fit with the game more if it doesn't really do that this time around it might it might kind of hinder or like it might kind of impact my view of the game just a little bit because i love lore and i love story yeah i mean there's so many questions playing through god of war 2018 again like there's so many questions i have that i hope get answered the fact that like the world serpent is technically uh, i was about to spoil is uh, <laughs> I guess, look, spoilers for God of War 2018. Just skip ahead a little bit. Um, the fact that the World Serpent is Loki's son, and same with like Fenrir, yeah. who's a wolf, is also Loki's son, and Atreus is Loki, but they're born before Atreus. Like, there's some sort of time yeah, this, thing has, like, going on. like a lot of time dilation, like like weird time well, not even time child but it's like you know characters popping up um before they were born and things like that it just doesn't make sense it's it's confusing but i still like it because you know i love mythology and i love norse mythology and i love the adaptation that the game had with it but you know if they just make it too convoluted and confusing or if they don't build upon it and tie up those loose ends that's gonna leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth come the end of the game the credit scene you know yeah I mean, I also have a theory, you know, like same thing. I hope that they tie up all the loose ends. I'm surprised they're going to try to do it in one game because this is supposed to be, you know, the finale of, and this is kind of, I think that they're doing some clever things with the wording because they've said that this is the finale of the Norse mythology run. (laughs) But in 2018, we got to look that there's also Egyptian, Roman, Greek, and some other, like I think Mayan mythology I wouldn't be surprised if there's purposely saying this is the end of the Norse mythology because Atreus, or maybe Kratos and Atreus, maybe just Atreus, have to go into Egyptian mythology and we keep it up that way. Like, I know that they've said that they don't want this to be a trilogy over the span of 10 years, but with how they keep specifically saying this is the end of the Norse mythology arc or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow that happens. And maybe that happens in God of War Ragnarok, where it's like, hey, we need to stop Ragnarok by going to Egypt, killing off one of their gods. <laughs> I, I don't know. It looks fascinating. And I, I'm interested, like you said, I hope that they're able to tie all of these loose ends together and give us a satisfying conclusion or maybe a little bit of a plot twist of like, hey, gotcha. It's not actually the conclusion. Yeah, I definitely think they can pull it off. But, you know, it's just... 
I, I, I definitely think they can pull it off. Whether or not that's going to happen or not, I don't really think that's going to may have the majority of the people start hating the game. <laughs> and I just realized now yeah. again that we just deviated from Elden Ring for a second time. <laughs> I was about to say, which, I mean, I think we're about good. We've spent a lot of time on Elden Ring, as you can tell. Right. We love it, even though we can't hold a conversation about it. It's our game of the year. We'll see. I'm excited to see whether or not Ragnarok is able to overtake that, um, which that's in two weeks. As you can tell, we're just so excited for Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Um, I believe I believe by the time the next episode, or I record the next episode, I will have played a little bit of God of War Ragnarok. So hopefully I'll be able to kind of give a little bit of first impressions of it. But we'll see about that. So... Yeah, thanks again. Thank you, everybody, for listening the whole way through. We really appreciate it. Um, once again, if you'd like to be on the podcast, make sure to email me at j.day at usunmedia.com or message me on Discord. Uh, you can also join our Discord server and message me that way, a bunch of different variety of ways. Um, feel free to leave a review or a comment. Give us a rating out of you know five stars and all that sort of stuff. Subscribe to the podcast if you want to see more, all the usual stuff when it comes to all of this. Um, and for the next episode, I have Zach Anderson, who is a writer on The Chronicle. We worked together to publish a piece about, I believe it was the 10, it's 10 budget Halloween games that we played throughout October. So I worked with him about that. We've got some great additions. We actually will be talking a little bit more about Scorn on there. Um, and we'll also just be going to a deep dive about the Chronicle, which is the U of U's newspaper uh, online sort of journalist site. Hopefully we'll be able to get, or hopefully I'll be able to work a little bit more with them about publishing a couple more game pieces. Um, but we'll have to see. They were really wonderful to work with on this one piece. Zach especially had a lot of great additions and knowledge. He's actually the reason that I'm trying out Outlast because he finally convinced me that hopefully i'll be able to get through it um so yeah make sure to keep your eyes out for that that'll probably be in about two weeks and once again thank you so much for listening uh we've been really impressed with how many people have been tuning in and we really appreciate all of you so we will see you on the next week